So we are beginning a new series. It's called, it's called The Circle Maker. It's uh, a series on the power of pers- persistent prayer. Say that fast three times. But from a book and a sermon series by a gentleman named Mark Batterson of, of a National Community Church up in Washington, D.C. And he starts it out with a story. In the first century before Christ, there was a devastating drought that threatened to destroy the generation before Jesus. And the last of the Jewish prophets had died uh, 400 years prior to this time. And miracles were such a distant memory that they didn't seem real and God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man. He was an eccentric sage. And he lived outside the walls of Jerusalem. His name was Honey. And he dared to pray anyway. He believed that God could still hear them. You see, when rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. But during a drought, it's the only thought. So Honey, with a six-foot staff in hand, began to draw a circle. And he went around, and he hit the 90-degree mark. And then he kept going, and he hit the 180. And then the 270, and then he finally got all the way around to the 360-degree mark as he drew this circle. And then with the authority that Elijah had when he called down fire from the heavens, he knelt down and he called out to God. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy to your children. And he remained there bowed. All those around him felt the impact of those words. It wasn't just the volume of his voice. It was the authority of the tone that that came out. There wasn't a hint of doubt. This prayer didn't originate from his vocal cords. It was, you know, like water from an artesian well. It came deep. It came from deep down in him. It flowed from the depth of his soul. It was resolute, but it was humble. Confident, but meek. It was expectant, but unassuming. And then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. Every head turned heavenward as the first rain dropped from the sky, but Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced with every drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with the sprinkle. Still kneeling in the circle, he lifted his voice above the sound of celebration and said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns and fill pits and fill caverns. And the sprinkle turned into a downpour. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. Honey stayed and he prayed inside that circle. And once more, he refined his bold request. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of thy favor and thy blessing and thy graciousness. And then it began to rain calmly and peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And these drops didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It'd be forever remembered as the day. The day thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. You see, it had been difficult to believe before that day. But the day after that day, it was impossible not to believe. 
And Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by the people whose lives he'd saved. But some in the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. See, there was a faction that, that thought that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God. And maybe it was those same Sanhedrin uh, who would criticize Jesus for healing a withered hand on the Sabbath. A generation later, they threatened Honey with excommunication, with kicking him out. But because the miracle could not be repudiated and could not be discounted, he was ultimately honored for his act of powerful bravado. And the prayer that saved a generation would be deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. And the legend of Honey the Circle Maker stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. And guys, God is still looking for circle makers. He's still looking for people who are willing to stand in prayer, who are willing to draw a circle and stand in the center of it and say, I will not move until God moves. Bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest prayers. God isn't offended by your boldness in prayer. He's not offended by that. Our prayers need to go beyond our ability to do it or they won't rely on him. And we need to be relying on God's ability to bring them to pass. We need to be praying prayers that require divine intervention. Because if we can do it, who needs God? We do. Don't be shy about audacious and bold prayers. The bigger the circle we draw, the better. You know why? Because God gets more glory. Our focus is not us. It's not name it and claim it. The focus is God. Because the greatest moments in life, the greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when hu where human impotence, our inability, and divine omnipotence, his ability intersect. When I can't and he can, and that comes together, they intersect when we draw a circle around the impossible situations in our lives and we invite God in. Say, God, intervene. I can't do it, but I know that you can. And it's imperative that we come to terms with a few things. One of those things is that God is for you. We've been talking about this, right? God is for you. Did you know that, that God is for you? Because he is. He is for you. And if you don't believe that, if you don't think that God is for you, then you will pray small, timid prayers. Because why would you not? You know, if, if, if I don't think that God is for me, and then I'm not going to believe that he's going to do a big, audacious, audacious thing. So I'm going to pray small, timid prayers. But if I believe that God is for me, I will step out in boldness and audacity and make the most crazy claims because God is for me and I know that he wants the best for me and who you become is going to be determined by how you pray ultimately the transcript of our prayers becomes the script of our life that's what we're talking about here it's powerful if we're willing to do this and our passage today is a crazy battle plan that we've talked about before but it's just crazy what God did in Joshua at Jericho. And this is from Joshua chapter 6. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. They were outside and, and they said, Okay, we ain't going to let you in, so we're going to bar the gates. So, so they did. And no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, 
See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now think about that. The, this, this city is barred, and, and God says, don't worry about that. I got it, and, and I'm going to deliver it to you. And then he gives them the battle plan. Okay, here's what you got to do in order for this to happen. I need you to march around the city once with all the armed men and do that for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark on the seventh day. March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone's going to go straight into Jericho. What? But Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of him. He ordered the army advance, march around the city with a guard in front of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead, and there was a rear guard that marched behind. And all this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded his army. He said, don't give a war cry, don't raise your voices. In fact, don't say a word until the day I tell you to, and then shout at the top of your lungs. So he had the Ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. The army returned to camp and spent the night there. Day one. You know what he did on day two? He said the exact same thing. They went around, and then they went to camp, and, and they were done, day two. So day three, you know what they did? Same thing. They did it again. They went around. They just that and went to camp. Day three. Day four. Day five. Day six. This is a great plan, isn't it? It's really working. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. If you march around a city, what is that called? A circle. Yeah, they did a circle around Jericho. How about that? When the priest, <laughs> this is the craziest plan ever. The priest sounded a trumpet, tr <laughs> the priest sounded the trumpet blast. And the army went, ha! <laughs> or maybe they went, Fall down! I don't know what they yelled, but they yelled at the top of their lungs. Ah! And you know what happened? The wall fell down. Here's the thing. Here's what the walls look like. These walls, the walls of Jericho were made up of a six-foot-wide lower wall and a 50-foot-high upper wall encircling the city. The mud brick walls were so thick, so tall, that a 12-acre city was inside of this impregnable fortress. We're not talking about a fence. We're not talking about a picket fence. We're talking about walls. This is what they were searching. This is what they're marching around. This is what that circle was. It seemed like God had promised something completely impossible, right? I mean, it's not possible what, what he's saying to do. His p battle plan didn't make any sense. I mean, your entire army is to march around the city once a day for six days, and guess what? On the seventh day, keep do it seven times, and then yell at the wall. That's not a good plan. If you're in the army, you're bound to be going, okay, so why not use a battering ram? I mean, we've got a battering ram. Why not scale? 
scale the walls. We could throw one of them grappling hooks up there and try and get up there. Flaming arrows. There's a lot that we could do, but walking around in a circle and then yelling at the wall is not a good plan, Joshua. Except it worked. 600,000 Israelites raised a holy roar. The walls came tumbling down. After seven days of circling Jericho, God delivered on a 400-year-old promise that he had made to Abraham. And he proved once again, his promises don't have expiration dates. The promises of God do not have expiration dates. And Jericho stands and Jericho falls as a testament to this simple truth. If If you keep circling the promise, the promise of God, then he will ultimately deliver on it. If it's God's promise... And this is critical, if it's God's promise, say it with me, if it's God's promise, then you can be audacious and you can be bold and you can stand and you can say, I am not going to move until you move, God, because this is you. This is your promise to me. Be persistent. Stand firm. This miracle is a microcosm. It not only reveals the way that God performed this particular miracle, it might just establish a pattern, not a Not a trick, but a pattern for us to follow. Because it challenges us to confidently circle the promises that God has given to us. Who has given to us? God has given to us. See, Mark Batterson has been has been hit from the side on on this book for for a name it and claim it philosophy. I don't think those folks read the book because what he's saying is that if the promise is God's, then you can stand and be as bold and audacious as you want to be. Because it's God's promise. If you're thinking you're going to go out there, dear Lord, give me a Porsche. I'm sorry. That probably ain't going to happen. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear them and then will I hear their land. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. These are plans to give you a hope and a future. These are promises of God. Promises of God. Grab the promises of God. So it begs the question, what's your Jericho? Joshua knew his Jericho. It was the city of Jericho. He circled it seven times, well, 13 times, seven days in a row. He knew. God told him, this is your Jericho. Who told him? God told him. This is your Jericho. You're going to do this. So what's your Jericho? What is it, what promise are you praying around? What is it that that God has on your heart that you need to latch onto with everything that you have? What miracle are you marching around? Because God is a God of miracles and he will always be a God of miracles. What dream does your life revolve around? Drawing prayer circles is not a trick and, and it's a figurative kind of thing. You know, you know, you can march in a circle if you want just to remind yourself. But the idea is that, is that we're going to stand firm as Honey did in the circle. And we're going to go, Lord, this is your promise to me. And I'm going to stand firm in it. And I'm not moving until you move because I know this is what you want for me. What's your Jericho? It starts with identifying what is your Jericho? What is the miracle? What is the promise? What is it that God is doing in your life? You've got to define the promises that God wants you to stake claim to, the miracles God wants you to believe, and the dreams God wants you to pursue. God wants you to pursue big stuff, audacious stuff. And that might be one person in one life, but it's big because that's a heart and a soul and an eternity, and those are big things. God wants you to pursue him, the key emphasis being God 
wants you to. Because if it is from him, then you need to keep circling and you need to keep praying and you need to be persistent. You need to not give up and keep going even when it doesn't seem like it's getting anywhere. You hang on until God gives you what he wants. Isn't that funny? It's not that God gives me what I want. It's what God gives me, the promise he made, the, the thing that he said, this is what I have for you. So you. But you need to be persistent about it. But if we'll do that, it will transform everything in our life. He'll give you what he wants. He'll give you what he wills. You may remember some of this, that the goal is to be one as the father and son are one. That that starts with pursuing God first. Not conforming to the ways of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we might know what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. It's about renewal, it's about re rebirth, it's about new life, it's about new direction. And we grab hold of that and we know that this is a promise from him is that if we will renew, then he will show us his will. If we're willing to pursue, not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that through his son the world might be saved he's not a god of condemnation he's a god of salvation and and that's what god is about and that's what we need to grab hold of the church has wandered into the area of a church of condemnation look there's enough condemnation in the world for everybody there's conviction in the church because the holy spirit when, you, when we do stuff we're not supposed to do guess what the holy spirit says uh, excuse me that's conviction that's not condemnation conviction is i made a mistake Condemnation is, I am a mistake. You are not a mistake. You're a child of the living God, and you are made in his image. Grab that. Hang on to that. That's who you are. That's never going to change. God is for you. And you know what else? It's even crazier. God is for me, and I'm, a, I'm crazy. Y'all know that. Only one amen. Hallelujah. I'm making progress. <laughs> but this tapestry that we're talking about, this is a tapestry of Scripture. Renewing of our mind involves the study of Scripture. That's the tapestry. But you know the thread is the Holy Spirit. The power is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is present in this place. But here's the problem. Most of us don't get what God wants for us simply because we don't know what it is. We don't know. We've never circled any of God's promises. We've never been courageous enough to just say, I am going to stand here and go. We've never written down a list of life goals, never defined success for ourselves and what God wants for us. Our dreams are as nebulous as those wispy clouds. Cumulus clouds, that's what they are. So instead of drawing circles, we draw blanks, right? Whatever God wills for me. Well, how about we try and figure out what that is? What do you think? <laughs> Here's the thing. More than a thousand years after the Jericho miracle, there was another miracle that happened in the exact same place. Jesus was on his way out of Jericho, and there were these two blind dudes, and they're <laughs> these two blind men. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think they're probably dudes. The two, two dudes off to the side, and, and they're blind, and they hail him like, hey, excuse me, son of man, you who heals people, we need healing. Uh, Look, we're over here. How did they see him? <laughs> the things that my mind runs to. <laughs> 
Son of man, have mercy on us. And the disciples, of course, being the disciples and wanting to protect the rabbi and protect Jesus, what do they do? They say, oh, leave him alone. You know, don't interrupt him. He's Jesus. He's busy. Got other things to do. Jesus sees it as one of these. He sees it as a divine appointment. So he stops. But you know what he does? He asks them a very pointed question. I think the Sunday school asked this question I heard when I was walking by. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Was that question necessary? It's two blind guys, right? It's obvious what they wanted. They're blind. But Jesus forced them to define exactly what it was they wanted from him. He said, he, he made them verbalize their desire. He made them spell it out. But it wasn't because Jesus didn't know they were blind. He knew they were blind. But he wanted to make sure that they knew what they wanted. Do you know what you want from God? And that's where drawing prayer circles begins, knowing what to circle, knowing what it is that God is, is, wants for us in our life. What if Jesus came to you this morning, and as you were leaving this place, or maybe sitting where you are, you get this voice in your head, and, and it says, Carolyn, what do you want me to do for you? Do you have an answer? Tammy, what do you want me to do for you? Do you have the answer to that? Would you be able to spell out the promises? Paul, what do you want me to do for you? What, what is it, the promise, the miracles, the dreams, the big stuff that God wants to do in your heart? Because I'm afraid that a lot of us might be a little dumbfounded by that question. We don't have any idea what we want God to do for us. We're showing up because we, we love God and, and, and we want to be a part of whatever it is, but we're just not sure about it. We don't know. I don't know. And the irony, of course, is that if we can't answer that question, then we're as blind spiritually as the blind dudes were physically. It's an important question. What is it do you want that you want me to do for you? So while God is for us, most of us don't have an idea of what we want God to do for us. And that's why our prayers sometimes get uninspiring, sometimes get repetitious, and, and sometimes they, they don't feed us because they're not coming from that artesian well in our soul. They're coming from up here or coming, you know, depth, depth of faith. If faith is being sure what we hope for, then isn't being unsure of what we hope for the antithesis of faith? If faith is being sure of what we hope for, as the Bible tells us, then isn't the opposite of that being unsure of what we hope for? And all we're saying here is to grab hold and be sure. Well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers. And well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Like those two blind dudes outside Jerusalem, we all need an encounter. Me too. With the living God, with, with the Son of God, I... I know someone who had an encounter with, with living God, and it just, just impacted beyond measure. It's incredible. But you need an answer to the question, because he's still asking, what do you want me to do for you? And by the way, this is a kind of question that's not going to be the same for your whole life. This is the kind of thing that's going to be changing over the course of time. We need different miracles during different stages, different seasons. We pursue different dreams at different times in our life. We stake claim to different promises in different situations. It's a moving target, but we've got to start somewhere. We've got to start somewhere. Why not start right here? Why not start right now? Let's start with this. Don't just read your Bible. Start circling the promises in it, right? Don't just, just read it to read it. Uh, read it. 
Hang on, I just heard how that sounded. <laughs> Read your Bible, but start circling the promises. And don't just make a wish. Write down a list of, of life goals as you're going through, as you're praying, as you're thinking, as you're studying. Well, God will prompt you with things in your life. Write those down. Don't just pray. Keep a prayer journal. Define your dream. Claim your promise. Spell your miracle. Spell your miracle. I want to tell you a little bit about Jericho Village. Jericho Village for, is... Um, for Kit and I, we were actually going through this book at that time, and, and, and we were feeling led to plant a coffeehouse church model. And, and so we were praying about that, and we prayed and fasted about that. I, went, I did a three-day fast and prayer, and we were talking with the conference, and, and the annual conference said, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then you need to show that you can raise some funds in order to finance it. So we need you to raise $50,000. We'll meet with you in a couple of months. Now, I'm not a fundraiser, as those of you who go to church here know. I don't hit on people about money a whole lot. Um, I believe that it's, it's an issue of the heart and that we're a good place to give, but I'm not going to beat you over the head. Um, so it's not my strength, right? It's not my strength. Um, it's not kits either. So we're tasked with this raising $50,000. We started asking folks, how do you do this? And so we were going to set up groups and meet in people's homes and, and present the plan and talk about this and then do the ask at the end because that's apparently what you do to raise funds <laughs> and then I was still a full-time pastor at a church and I and we I, I think I had five funerals over the course of three months and so you know that plan went out the window and so then we're getting close it's the end of the year so we sent out a letter and we raised about sixteen thousand dollars with the letter which was pretty good for everybody we thought except sixteen thousand is not fifty and, oh, and I forgot to mention, I changed that to 54. I don't know why. It certainly didn't then. But in my head, the target was at 54, not 50. And so we're <laughs> shooting for 54. We've raised some, and, and, and we're running out of time, and it's getting close. And I you know, decide that, well, it's one last gas. We shot a, decided to shoot a video, and, and we were going to do one last push. We had identified a group to reach out to. And we're shooting this video with my friend Jeremy, and I'm like, you know, give to this, and this is what it is. And, you know, and, I, and I'm just pressured because I want people to get it and to grab hold of it and to buy in. And what happened was he started to pack up, and I said, hang on. And, and, and I sat down, and I told him the heart of it. Not this other stuff. That would be included, but the heart of it. And the heart of it was this. I wanted to be a part of a place that brought the secular world and the sacred world into proximity, into connection, into a place where God's Holy Spirit could interact with people and move people's hearts that may not ever come together in any other setting. And a coffee house, that isn't a miracle. That's just a setting. It's a place where that can happen. People will go to a coffee house who would never step foot in a church. People in a church will go to a coffee house. We get people in proximity. God's Holy Spirit can do amazing things. And that was the thought. That was, that's still my heart is I, I just want to reach people who don't know Jesus. I want them to know who he is. And I trust God to move in the midst of a conversation and in the midst of a relationship in ways that it can't happen other ways. And so I shared that. And over the course of a weekend, we went from that 16 up to $44,000. Still short, though, right? So we're going in on Tuesday morning, I think it was, to, to the conference, and we're packing. We're literally getting ready to get in the car, and we get a phone call from a friend of ours. From My first appointment was at Northwoods, part-time appointment. 
and Greg and Andrea weren't particularly close. They, they, I knew them only because they had come in and asked, can we use the building for a homeowners association meeting? And I said, sure. And said, because anything to get somebody in the church, right? Um, proximity. And then they started visiting, and then they came, and they joined, and, and, um, and that's how we knew them. But they weren't people that we had stayed in contact with. But Andrea called that morning, and, and, and she said, you know, and they, she didn't know the, the amount that we had raised. But she called her. She said, you know, I'd like to give $10,000 because I think this would have made all the difference for our friend Randy if there had been a place like this. And so we went down to that meeting with $54,000 in pledges and gifts, which is a miracle. It's a miracle. So when you hear me talk about Jericho Village, I, I talk about that because I know that's part of our ministry. That's not even in question. I know that that's something that we circle, that that's going to be a part of the ministry that, that we do. Because this is the kind, and, and when we were appointed to Arbor Point, this is the kind of place that embraces folks who walk through the door. That bringing worlds together, yeah, they could, that can happen here. Circle and pray and be persistent. You want to break walls down, build people up, right? To this end, there's a packet. Did everybody get one of these? If you do not have one, will you raise your hand? Bob, there's a few back there. If you will hand those out. So this is this is just a packet that I put together <laughs> last night. <laughs> You want to answer your prayer? Last night, I, I was like, man, I really would like to, to have something for folks, and, but I was tired. And so I you know, joined with somebody who prayed for me and, and ended up putting this together. So uh, what it is, is it's a challenge. It's a 21-day challenge. And what the challenge is, it's in the front page of that. Pick a time and a place. Oh, and these, these three need one, too. Bob, are there more? Bob? All right. One, okay, well, here. I, kn I know you guys want one. So you pick a time and a place, and you identify something or someone that you are going to pray for or about daily for 21 days. And the goal in this is not to force somebody's hand or, to, or force God's hand or make him give you an answer. The, the goal in this is to establish the habit of prayer. Because I think our generation desperately needs to rediscover the difference between praying for, and there's nothing wrong with praying for. There are some things in life that we need to absolutely pray for, but there is a difference between praying for and praying through. Praying through is, is the time when, you, ha when you, know, you grab hold of the horns of the altar and you refuse to let go. You hang on until God answers. Like Honey, you refuse to move from that circle until God moves. You intercede until God intervenes. You grab hold. Your praying through is all about consistency. It's about showing up. It's circling Jericho so many times that you get dizzy. Like the story Jesus tells about the persistent widow who drove the judge crazy with her relentless requests, and then he finally said, okay, I give up. 
praying through doesn't take no for an answer. Circle makers know that it's always too soon to quit, pr- quit praying because you never know when the wall is going to fall. Don't quit. You're always one prayer away from a miracle, one prayer away. Praying through is about intensity, too. It's not quantitative. It's not the number of prayers. It's qualitative. It's grab and hold. Drawing prayer circles is more than words. It's those gut-wrenching groans and that heartbreaking tears. It's praying through doesn't just bend God's ear. Praying through is all about touching the heart of our Father. When was the last time you found yourself flat on your face before Almighty God? When was the last time you spent over a night, all nighter in prayer? What cut off the circulation in your knees because you were on your knees for so long? When was the last time? See, there's higher heights and deeper depths in prayer than, than we tend to go to, and God wants us to go there, wants us to go there in this place. He wants to take you places you've never been before. Wants to show you things that you've never seen before. There are new dialects. There are new dimensions. But here's the thing. If you want God to do something new in your life, you can't do the same old thing. If you want God to do something new in your life, you cannot continue to do the same old thing. You know what will happen if you keep doing the same thing? You'll keep getting the same results. That's just the way that it is. But if we do the new thing, we'll get different results, and we want to do that. So let this experiment this 21-day prayer challenge, and it's online too. If somebody's not here, you can look it up there. Begin a new chapter in your relationship with God because it's time. It's time for us to start circling the promises of God. He knows, the, for, for I know the plans I have for you, right? Those are plans to give us a hope and a future. So that's what we want to be about in this place. What's your Jericho? You know, when... God told Joshua to circle Jericho. Joshua was probably skeptical too. But he told him to do it, and and Joshua did it. So what I hope for you and what I hope that you'll do with this time and this prayer challenge is discover what your Jericho is, begin to pray around that, and hang on. Because God has a plan for you and in your life that is beyond anything that you can even see perhaps right now. Be bold. Be crazy. Be audacious. He loves you that much. May the love of God the Father and the grace of God his Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit fill you, lift you, and lead you each day of this week, each day of your life. Be blessed. Be a blessing. Amen. Amen.